Welcome to Framework Leadership, a podcast about principles and ideas that can uh, you know, help you every day to take your leadership to a, another level. Exclusively now, a part of the SU Podcast Network. I'm your host, Kent Engle, president of Southeastern University, and I'm excited today to introduce our co-host for today's show, Mish Fominko. And Mish is the founder of a Los Angeles-based ministry movement called Be Moved, as well as serves as an itinerant pastor, City Church, California. Uh, excited, Mish, to have you on the on the podcast today. Yeah. Thanks for taking time. Dr. Engel, thank you so much for having me. So honored to be here. And you're from my home state, California, so it's always great to... Uh, to uh, talk with someone who knows what In-N-Out Burger is all yes. about, right? <laughs> yes. I was there, uh, when, when, last time I was there was in March, and we made sure every day we at least stopped once at In-N-Out Burger to get a double-double animal style. That's the best that's, one. That's that's my favorite. So, But man, great to have you here for Exposure Conference this week and and just have you speak into our, our students' lives. It's just uh, It's just an honor to have you. Uh, on, on today's podcast, I want to spend some time talking about your organization, Be Moved. Uh, but before we jump into that conversation, I want to hear some of your uh, some of your stories. Uh, I know you were born in Moldova, and your family immigrated to the U.S. in in 1989. You were six years six old, years old. Six yes. years old. Um, before immigrating to the U.S., your family was oppressed for your faith for following Jesus. And, and, and during those moments of persecution, and in, in fact, your family was forced to do church meetings in the forest. Um, even there were times where your house was bugged by the government. Um, and I know you were young, but what do you remember about those experiences and your family being persecuted for, for faith? Yeah. Speaking of faith, that's how I learned faith. People ask me sometimes, man, how much, do, why do you have so much faith? I'm like, it got imparted in me from a young age because you couldn't survive without faith. Wow. Because you're literally living where you're hunted down in a way, you know, for your religious belief. You are an outcast of society, you know, as a believer. And, uh, and so our church would meet in the forests um, and just crazy stuff would happen. Some of the most unique miracles and manifestations of God I saw as a kid. Wow. I got to share one that just comes to my yeah. mind. I'll never forget the story. Is uh, my dad shared, would share the story that so you 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 would you would meet in the forest uh, out outside in the city somewhere just where they couldn't find you and and so the people are sitting under trees and around bushes and and the person um, would be speaking to them. So my dad was, would share the story of how he one time was uh, uh, was ministering and all of a sudden come running towards them towards their congregation. Of people would come was coming with a guy with a machete, wow. like this blade. I don't even know how long how how long it was, but a good sized machete. He's running and he's screaming, "Stop it! Stop it! Don't do that!" Like full on, like demonic, almost like manifestation. And my dad shares a story like it was he was so calm and so composed, and he shares a story that he just he's like they understood what it's like to walk in the authority of God. Hmm. And so literally, he just he he shared the story. Uh, preacher turns to the to the guy running, and he says, "In the name of Jesus." I command you to, like, I don't know if it was the word freeze or I command you to be still or something like that. And the guy's arm that was up in the air with the, with the machete up in the air literally got stuck. And the guy is like, what did you do? What did you do? Wow. He turns around and runs back into the forest with his arm still up in the air. Now, That's that was thir- 31 years ago or, or more probably, actually. Who knows? The guy might be still running through a forest with his arm, arm in the air. But And so we just saw... Uh, we just saw God in such unique ways. And we just believed the crazy stuff. We just yeah. believe for, for God to show up. And um, 
uh, thank God it wasn't uh, my dad or, or anybody, but like grandparents and some of the preachers who'd be ministering in jail. So many stories. Um, my dad, because he was, he was almost like a like a secret agent to like uh, different like bishops and different things in the area. So they, they would literally. I remember uh, hearing stories of he he would share that. They would calculate on, he's like, I'm going to pull up with my car from this side of the street. I'm going to pull up exactly at this time. I'm going to swing my door up. When you jump in, we're going to go there. We're going to minister there. And everything, because uh, these, uh, they, they were under like arrest, wow. these ministers. And they was, everything was so undercover. And then stuff would get found out. And he would wake up in the morning. His tires would be slashed from the government. His windows would be bashed in, like fines, fines that would take months of work to pay off. Um, and But my dad just... He instilled faith and was like, no, no, like this is actually an honor and a privilege of us to live this way. And so it was crazy because even as a kid, and I think back thinking, man, it, it could have been so chaotic, but we actually had, there was, there was a peace and, yeah. there was, and there was a faith really as us as kids, there was never fear. We never lived in fear, even though the government would, would just bash our doors in, arrest people that were having prayer meetings in our house, you know, because we were bugged. But for us, it was never like, it was never scary, which is interesting now that I think about it. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Now that you've had, I mean, you've had the opportunity to experience both persecution and religious freedom. How, how important is that freedom to have, is it to have that kind of freedom in a healthy society? Yeah. Uh, which is what we have, yeah. you know, here, in, in, what we have been having yeah. here in America. Yeah. yeah. And continue to have, um, there is starting to be some things, right. yes. Uh, you can't call it persecution because thank God no one's going to jail yet for right. the gospel. And let's just let's just keep praying that that's that, that that's the truth. But yeah, there is starting to be some push against the church. You know, we're we're obviously seeing that now. Um, what makes me excited is the American church may not think they're ready for it, but when you're a believer, something in you just makes you ready. Yeah. And what's cool about being coming coming from the Slavic is. Slugs aren't afraid of it. And it's crazy because even now, like people are shouting like, you know, uh, Marxism and communism and they're shouting all these things. I'm like, you guys have no idea what that is. I've never met anyone that's come out of a, uh, a socialist communistic regime and, and, and that say that's the answer. Hmm. It's like, I'm looking at people like you have, can you just please travel the world a little bit? Like, can you go, go see what the police uh, situations are in other parts of the world? Like you have no idea what you're talking about. We are the closest thing to heaven Yes, things aren't perfect. Yes, things could be better. But man, I'm looking at where we are in America and I'm just like, this is nothing short of the closest thing that we have to heaven. And if we just look at it from perspective of, hey, let's fix things that we can fix, but let's be thankful for what we have. And I I think the American church maybe doesn't know what persecution feels like, but when it comes, it's gonna be easy to see who's a real believer and who just... Right, exactly. Mod- moderately, just kind of okay, sure. And I, and I want to ask, I want to. Uh, why do you think um, socialism and, and and Marxism is so appealing to a lot of young people today in our yeah. nation? Honestly, it's it's so easy. To, and the cool thing is, as a Slavics, we can smell it from miles away. Sure. And so, even with a lot of the stuff and the restrictions that are happening, a lot of Slavics are like. We, this is exactly the process of what happened to what, how the USSR became the USSR. Like we can see this process is literally starting to tr- take place. And if people don't wake up and realize what's happening, like we're smelling it. And so, and so the Slavics are like, you can call it rebellious, but they're just like, no, we're, we're going to live in freedom because we know what it's like. And the reason y- this young generation, it's just because 
it's sad to watch, but it's a lazy generation, entitled generation that wants everything for free. But there's no such thing as free. You go to socialist countries, you're paying for it somehow. Some way, yeah. But you're paying it for the way they're telling you to pay for it rather than the way that you decide, right. decide to pay for it. it it's, it's still happening, and you're really not getting anything free. What you're doing is actually you're giving up your freedom to get some things that you think will, will, will be easier for you. You know, and so it's, it's actually, it's, it's, it's fascinating to me to have conversations with people knowing what the other side looks like. And I travel to Russia yearly. I travel to Ukraine, some of these countries, I travel to South America, different places where it's like, you see what it's like to live in these places that are not like, like America. And every time I come home, I'm like, God, thank you that I live in America. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, what, how can leaders stand up to, to this change in our country today? And, and, and really the role of the church, where, where can it, you know, in terms of being that solid, you know, stand and, and support and encouragement, what do we need to do? I think America has tapped into a revelation of God that the world needs, and it's the revelation of the love and the grace of God. But God, Jesus is the lion and the lamb. Mm. And some, you know, like we, we've heard this phrase that, Love without truth is hypocrisy, but truth without love is brutality. Wow. And I feel like pastors in America have become so good at the compassion and love side of it that they're losing sight of the truth side of it. But it's two sides to the same coin. He's the lion and the lamb. You know, there's the fear of God, there's the awe and the reverence of God, and then there's the, there's the grace of God as, as our Father, and our, you know. And when we begin to lose sight and we begin to err on one side or another is when we begin to miss and we begin to uh, create room for the enemy to do what he wants to do. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the greatest revelations that this nation is bringing to the world they have to learn almost to like, okay, there's got to be, there's got to be the other side to it where you can't just have the love. There has to be truth. Paul said, when I'm with the Romans, I'm like the Roman. When I'm with the Gentiles, when I'm with, I do what outside of sin. But the moment we start compromising and the moment right. we start not releasing truth for the sake of, oh, but love, yes, it's love and truth. They have to work together. And you have to know how to release the truth and love. But also you can't just err on you know, let's just, let's just pet everybody. And I get it. That's as a pastor, that's your primary gift. As a fivefold minister pastor, you're a shepherd and you're a lover of people. And I get that. But when is the time where we stop petting and start saying, Hey, the only thing that can set you free is, and you will know the truth Yeah. and the truth will set you free. You can't experience freedom if you don't know truth. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, God is a righteous God. And righteousness is so important, uh, and it has to have balance. I, I want to um, uh, reframe a little bit now here. After moving um, to the states, you you were con- you know consistently involved in church, and even began preaching at a young age. Yeah. Um, and, and when you graduated high school, you moved out to Seattle, uh, Washington, to spend some time serving under Pastor Judah, and, yeah. and that had to be an amazing uh, experience at the City Church. Excuse me. Now, church home. During your time at the city church, you led and discipled college age students through a youth ministry that had tremendous growth. What I think from went from five hundred all the way up to fourteen hundred in weekly attendance, and then from the city church, you stepped into a youth ministry role with. Um, I think it was the Image yes, Image, Image Church, church yeah. which was a new church plant. Talk about what you learned stepping away from a vibrant, thriving mm-hmm. ministry. Now stepping into a, a new uh, upcoming uh, church plant, what did you learn about 
that experience and what did it teach you about your leadership? Yeah, really, really good question. I remember actually sitting down with Judah saying, hey, help me start something. He's like, I don't know how. He's like, I got handed a youth ministry of 500 kids. He's like, I know how to build from 500. I don't know how to start though. And he's like, you got to talk to people who know how to do it. And it's like, it's interesting how there's almost like a grace on you for different seasons. And I remember even uh, connecting with people. One of the things I did is we did our, our youth leadership meeting on, um, on Wednesdays. Usually youth ministries do Wednesday nights, right. but we did ours Thursday. And the reason I did that was I wanted to go learn. And so I would take my leaders and every Wednesday we went to a different youth ministry. It didn't matter the denomination. It didn't matter where they were from, what their background, what their theology was. We wanted to go and learn, hey, what's working? What's not working? How can we incorporate what we feel like God is doing for us? And we would literally debrief. And so for me, it was about getting around people that are doing something and, and learning and, and being okay with, you know, making mistakes and shifting sure. and changing. And, and, and so for me, the, the, the one thing I did learn from my current pastor, who was also at City Church at the time in Seattle, is he would always, he would always say, it has to be grounded in prayer uh, because that's where you're going to get, leadership has to start with relationship because otherwise it becomes, um, you know, almost like dictatorship. Yeah. If it's done, if you're just, you know, but when it's done from, uh, from a place of prayer, from a place of revelation, then all of a sudden things change. And, and then I learned a lot. We, uh, I learned even my first, cause for me coming in from a, a pump in youth ministry that we literally started seeing 1400 people at a, at, at a regular weekly service. Well, that's not even camps, camps or conferences, you know? And then you come in, what was cool is our first, our first youth camp, we invited some guest speakers. And one of the guest speakers was like, Misha, I would never say that this youth ministry is a year old. He's like, you guys function like a mega church. You guys uh -huh. are such a high level. And I was like, that's the only thing I know. You know, like all yeah. I know is, is what big looks like, what, what doing it at a high level looks like. And so that was cool being under something that was done at a high level of excellence and then starting something and only knowing that in a way. And we blew up within the first three years, we had 130 kids coming weekly, you know, in, in, in a brand new church that started with 12 people in my pastor's house. And in three years, we started seeing, uh, you know, 130. So we started just, just blowing up and the church started being filled with young people. You know, it was mostly young. And, and now I go back and preach to everyone. So like, I was just there this summer, they're meeting uh, an outdoor, they put up this tent type thing, you know, cause with all the social distancing and stuff and the requirements, people aren't going to church in Seattle, just like in LA. And uh, so they did this whole outdoor thing and I got a chance to preach there and I go back there and it's amazing to watch how the leaders in that church today, eight years removed now, eight plus years removed now from, from there. Um, I got a chance to train most of those leaders. I'm like looking at them, like, I'm so proud of you. You were, you, you were my high school student and now you're like right. on, on the team doing this, doing preaching, doing that. And it's, it's so cool to watch. See their growth. Talk a little bit about, I mean, um, it, it requires a lot of risk taking in many ways, stepping out in huge faith. Um, how important is, is that kind of, uh, uh, you know, when you experience and you step out into something new that you have to have a risk-taking mindset? Yeah, absolutely. I'll never forget a message that actually my youth pastor, Pastor Judah spoke when I was, you know, still, still in college and he literally preached on faith is risk. Mm. And he said, the way you spell faith is R I S K capital R capital. And he, and I remember putting it in my Bible, like, like really big. And it, it, it did something to me that if you're not taking your risks, you're not going to see the manifestation. And he had this phrase that he would say that I've totally stolen and made my own. And he would say, when you do the ridiculous, what seems ridiculous, God will do the miraculous. Yeah. 
And he had stories where he stood up in his, in, in his high school, in a public high school of 5,000 kids, and he preached gospel at lunchtime. And he would just talk about some of these things. And he's like, if you don't take a risk, you'll never know. Yeah. You know, I would rather be a wet water walker like Peter than a dry boat talker, you know? And it's like, you'll never know. And the one thing I would say is, if you take a risk and it fails, the worst place you're going to end up is in the arms of Jesus being carried back into the boat. Yeah. And so to me, I thrive on risk. I don't know if it's part of my personality or if it's just the way I'm wired or what, but I love actually stepping into a situation not knowing exactly how it's going to end up. You know, a man plans his ways, but I love the second part of the verse, but I let the Lord direct my paths. Yeah. You and when you, look, I mean, when you look at the book of Acts and you look at the explosion of the church, it was all about risk. Yes. And, and how they stepped out like that in faith. That's powerful. Yeah. You, you continued to minister with the Image Church until 2013 uh, when you began your itinerant ministry with the City Church of Ventura. And, and since then, you've been traveling around the world, I mean, preaching the, the incredible message of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then now you've also started this ministry initiative called Be Moved. Uh, your mission is to reach people, raise believers, and release influencers. I love yes. that. Uh, expound for me on, on the mission of this ministry um, initiative, and where do you see it going? Yeah. And how do you see it expanding? Yeah, um, I remember when I first started doing... Um, and one thing I love about I just want to shout out my pastor, Pastor Jude Fuquay from, from the City Church, California. And one thing I love about him is he's not threatened by strong leaders, mm. but he releases strong leaders. Because not many churches know what to do with an evangelist that travels. Uh, but uh, it's amazing. So I was on staff uh, as a youth pastor you know, of one of our campuses, and my wife and I helped serve for many years. And about three years ago now, we launched Be Moved, and it's a nonprofit organization. And um, Be Moved started with uh, me wanting to just inspire people with faith and risk. And every time I'd come home and I would share st- miracle stories of what God is doing around the world with my pastor, he's like, Mish, that moves me. That moves me. And I'm like, that's what I want. I want people to be moved. Yeah. And then, it, and, and so be moved comes from two passages. One is the Bible says that Jesus was moved with compassion and then he, whatever, healed, delivered, set free. So there was, there was this compassion element. First, you're moved. And then the second part of it is then you go and do the moving. You speak to the mountain to be moved. Moved, right. And, and, and so, it's, so it's got this double element. First, I want people to be moved by God. And then I want people to go and do some moving. And so the, so the, the reach, raise, and release is uh, the reaching part is I've had a chance now to be over 40 countries, uh, about 43 states, get a chance wow. to you know, travel. I love it. And people are like, how do you do it? It's like, when, you, when, you, when there's a grace of God, I'm sorry, when there's an anointing for something from God, there's a grace for it also. And, and so doing the different hotel rooms and the different, who knows where you sleep sometimes, you know, all the flights and the time zone changes. To me, it's like, man, if you're called to something, there's going to be an anointing. And if there's not a grace for it, then maybe there's something else you should be doing. Yeah. You know, and, 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 when I, and what's cool is my wife, there's a grace on her for it. There's a grace on my kids for it. And the moment I start seeing that like differently, then I'm going to start reevaluating stuff. But my passion is the nations. Mm-hmm. Um, and, so, and so the raise part and the release part is probably my heart is I feel like I'm called to believers. Of course, we want to see people saved along the way, but I feel like I want to see believers know who they are in Christ, understand their identity, number one, and then their authority, number two. And when they understand their identity, they begin to understand their authority. And when they understand their authority, then they're releasing their purpose. It's the story of the prodigal son. Uh, The father gives him, first he gave him the robe, the identity. This is who you are. You're not a servant, you're a son. Here's my royal robe. The second he gave him is a ring the signet ring, the symbol of authority. Authority, Now the same authority I have, you have. 
And then he gave him the shoes, which is a picture of where you go. It's a picture of your purpose. And so, and so for me, one of my passions is to, and this is something my pastor has. That's why I love being under him is he knows how to look into someone and pull out who they are. It's almost like, it's almost like a prophetic gifting where you can really see someone before they even see themselves the way God sees them. And I want to show them, this is who you are. Do you realize what's on the inside of you? Do you realize what you're capable of and pull it out of them? That's what it is. A youth pastor. Like my message every single week was, do you know what's living on the yeah, inside of you? Yeah. You know, like, like that was basically what it came down to. Like there's something powerful in you. Let's raise you up and let's send you out to, to bring transformation to whatever part of culture God has called you to, whether it's medical, sports, education, you know, whatever, whatever you're called to, God wants to release his kingdom through you. But you have to understand who you are and you have to understand what you have as, an, yeah. as the authority. And so that's the, that's the raise and the release part. Yeah. And, and that's what I love about the work that I have the privilege to be a part of here at, at, at Southeastern. The, you know, our, the, the phrase that we use around here is divine design, mm-hmm. helping these amazing students that God is raising up uh, to you know, discover and develop, uh, because in their divine design is that you know, calling, is that authority that they have to go out and, and become a solution to the issues um, in this world. So that, that is so powerful. And we have many young leaders listening to this podcast uh, today. What, what advice would you give them in finding a, a mentor like your pastor who did mentor you that uh, would be willing to invest in their lives? What, what would be some, some wisdom in, in, yeah. in searching for that? Good question. I get that question a lot, actually, because I mentor a lot of guys, too, is uh, knock and it shall be open unto you. Mm. Seek and you shall find. It's a lot of people are waiting for someone to come find them. But sometimes, like, I have found some of my spiritual fathers that I, I would call spiritual leaders, people that I learned from, that have different giftings. Like, just recently, I had a situation that it came, and I didn't know how to deal with it as a young minister still. And I called three of my, three of my, three of my spiritual leaders, all compl- that live in different places, have different functions, different giftings, and they all literally said the same thing. And it just brought so much clarity to what I was supposed to do. And it was totally different than what I thought I should have done. Yeah. And so, for me, it's about fi- seeing a gift in someone because you can only receive from who you honor. And so find the people that you honor a certain gifting or an anointing or, or, or the way they do things and get under them and serve. Don't, don't, don't go there to try to be the, be the man, but go there. And, and, and this is my heart is Jesus did not come to do anything but serve. Mm. He came to serve. And a leader is a person who knows how to serve. Yeah. And I think that's the one thing people want. They're like, oh, I want to fulfill my purpose. Like, no, no, it's out of order. First is the identity, then it's the authority, then it's the destiny. And people want, like, what's my purpose? Where am I supposed to go? Let's go. It's like, no, no you don't even know who you are. Yeah. And the only way you know who you are is by being in your father's house, yeah. by being under a mentor, by doing the stuff, you know? And so for me, it's like, I, I go into a place like, how can I serve? What can I do? You know, how, how, how can I make, you know, when you serve the dream of somebody else, God will bring people that will end up helping serve your dream. And that was, that, that was the key that got Joseph out of prison. Mm-hmm is he served the dream of the oh, cupbearer right. and he served the dream of the, of the baker. He began to tell them, put his aside and serve them. And that was the key that yeah. got him from the prison to the palace. Yeah, is wow. in the serving comes the position. And some people want the position and they right, do whatever they the, can. Yeah. You know, so I would say, look for people who you honor, respect, and just get under them. And there's things that you're not gonna like about them, that's good. So rich. I know that you're extremely passionate about seeing people move towards action. I mean, to take those steps. In in our current context, there's so many students who feel a call to ministry. There's no doubt uh, about that, whether that be in a vocational sense 
or through other avenues. And again, you know, we are passionate here about helping them discover that identity and discover that authority and and discovering what God has, you know, placed upon their lives. Uh, not only do we want them to discover that call, but we want them to really take the time to develop it uh, and and then be sent out. And for leaders who are learning how to to train and disciple the next generation, what advice would you give? Them? What does it take? What does it really take from a foundational sense to reach, to raise, and to release people uh, in the world? So good. I think inside of each one of us is a destiny and a purpose, you know? And sometimes you can't get around knowing, you know, it's it's, it's a church, churchianity phrase now that you cannot know who you are until you know whose you are. Mm. And... But I think that's such a powerful concept is because I was around my father, my father spoke life into me. And now as a father to two beautiful girls, every night uh, when I put my, put my daughter to sleep, the one who actually understands what I'm talking about still, she, the other one's only a year and two months old, but we pray together. And the one thing I always do is I always find something to affirm her for that she did during the day. Mm. Like the way that you treated your little sister in this situation, that was so good. And, and we even have language, like in our family, this is what we do. This is how we are. And it, it was funny because now it's like, that, sometimes that'll come back to bite you, yeah. you know? It's like, Daddy, in our family, we're nice. Daddy, you need to be nicer to mommy. I'm like, you're absolutely <laughs> right. I was, I, I was a little harsh there. You're absolutely right. And, but when you begin to build culture and, and just by, by, by being in him, by being with him, when you begin to build that culture, understand that culture, because even, even the prophetic, how can you prophesy if you don't know him? So I tell people, if you want to learn how to prophesy, memorize the Bible. How can you release his word if you don't even have it in you? Yeah. Memorize it, get to know him, uh, start having history with him. And all of a sudden, it's going to be impossible for you to miss your destiny. It's going to be impossible for you not to transform culture. And for me, because I knew how to be a good son, now I know how to be a good father to a son. And I can and, and I naturally begin to fulfill the purpose of God without even trying. Yeah. And it's like you just begin to flow in it because because of you allowed yourself to learn, you know? Wow. Mish, this is some incredible insight, and I'm, I'm so thankful for your voice, um, you know, and, and wow, what you're, you're bringing to our students this week is, is just amazing. Since you started Be Moved, you, you have partnered uh, alongside Compassion yes. um, International to help children who are not fortunate to have the same opportunities that children here in the States have. But when, when your family was in Moldova, you were, you were, you were born in, into poverty. Yes. Um, how has your personal experience shaped your desire to, to be such a strong partner, you know, with compassion and, and why should our listeners partner with compassion yeah. as well? Yeah. I think every single person has a passion and the passion comes out of our pain in a way. A lot of people that, the enemy attacks us in the areas that we are actually gifted. So if you're attacked in certain areas, you're actually gifted to overcome in those areas. He's not mm. going to attack areas that are insignificant, that don't matter in your life. So if you've been attacked and you, there's been pain through certain things, you're probably anointed to actually overcome in those areas. And so for me, coming from poverty, coming from, you know, lack, um, there was different organizations that, would, that wanted to come alongside and, and there were a lot of great organizations, but Bible-based, good-believing organizations. But when Compassion came around, and I was actually sponsoring a kid from a young age, even from 17 years old, I started sponsoring a kid at a, uh, at a, at a music festival I was at. Mm. 
And so I knew about the organization. And so when it came around, uh, when, when they approached me this, for, for this, for, you know, to partner, to bring them around to the areas I go, it just became so natural because we were sponsored to immigrate to the U.S. by a, local, by a small four-square church in North Idaho, in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And they picked us. So there's all these families, all these lists that were approved to basically immigrate. And so they're like, we want to pick this family from Moldova, uh, six children, or seventh, I'm, I'm one of seven, our seventh was born here in America, six children in this situation. We want to help them. And so I know what it's like to be taken from what it feels like. And my dad's dream for us was always like, I want my kids to learn how to live in freedom to know, know what it's like to live in freedom. And I want my kids to achieve whatever it's in their heart to achieve. Cause we're, that, that wasn't possible in communism. Mm. Like you, like you have to do what you're told to do. You can't do what you want to do. And he's like, I really want my kids. And so that, that was his, his passion for us. And so when, when he immigrated to America, my dad was like, we're going to be good citizens. We're going to vote. We're going to work. We're not going to, we're not going to suck unemployment. We're not going to take from all the, like, no, we're called to be good citizens here. So we're going to do that. And I remember my dad got a lot of like, you know, from a lot of other immigrants, they were like, well, why don't you just take advantage of the, of the system? Like, why are we taking advantage of it? Like, we have an opportunity to flourish here. Sure. Why should we be stuck to a system that's there to help people who actually need it? Like, you got hands, you got, you, you, you got a good mind, go, go do something with it. Like, this is a country of opportunity. And so we grew up with this mentality, like, like almost like the American dream mentality, like we, the, we can achieve stuff. I totally am going off your, off your, I'll comment in a different way. I got a little bit. No, this is good. But, but I, I just, I, I just feel like when we begin to understand what we have presented for us and, and take advantage of it. And, and that's how it is even in the spirit. Like when we understand what we have in him, when we, what we have in his presence, how can we live a complacent Christian life? Like, I want to go see what Jesus saw. I want to go do, I've had these questions, Misha, why aren't we seeing the miracles we saw Jesus? I'm like, I'm seeing them. Yeah, yeah. Why aren't you seeing them? The reason you're not seeing them is because our pastor says this all the time. The reason some churches don't see salvations is because they don't do calls for salvation. The reason some churches don't see healing because they don't pray they're for not healing. Prayed for it. Yeah. How can you see something that you don't even fully believe in? Yeah. You know, so let's go for it. If we see it, let's go for it. You wow. know? Wow. We need to hear you every day. <laughs> this is great. Well, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and and when we come back, we're going to move into our fire round and and give some some solid few uh, practical application points to what we've been talking about. So let's take a break. If you're a driven professional striving to expand your leadership and pack change at any level of your organization, Southeastern University's online master's degree in leadership is definitely for you. This program provides you the opportunity to learn in the context of entrepreneurship, nonprofit leadership, research, or organizational leadership. You can apply today at seu.edu slash apply. That's seu.edu slash apply. Welcome back, everybody. As we move into the fire round, I want us to cover a few practical application points that our listeners can take away from this conversation. And these points will uh, summarize, I think, our, our, our conversation and give our lis- listeners actionable takeaways that they can apply. You know, we want something, man, they can apply right now in this moment. Uh, and, and I'll start us off, you know, when I listen to your story, um, I'm reminded not to despise humble beginnings. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even though you were born into difficult circumstances, you are now, God has em- empowered you, has anointed you, and it's evident, and your passion is so contagious. And now you are leading people all around the globe. And and, and God works through 
crazy, you know, situations to bring glory and, and honor to him and, and to, to grow the kingdom. So, so to me, that's a, a major practical step. Don't, don't just, you know, look at your present circumstances. If you will trust and believe and have faith in what God wants to do with your life, watch out because it will be a great adventure. What, what's a practical step that people can take? Yeah, I think what we talked about at the beginning is risk. Mm. Don't be afraid of risk. I think um, the moment we begin to have any fear, we already cannot fulfill what God wants us to fulfill because fear is not in God. Yeah. And so the moment we start having this anxiousness or fear, just cast it out. And uh, one, one thing I learned is even as, even as a preacher, um, my youth pastor told me, he says, uh, when you're going up and you're nervous when you're going up, it's because you're thinking about yourself. He's like, when you go up there and start thinking about that 16-year-old boy that's on the verge of drugs, that's, that's maybe thinking about suicide. Think about that single mom who just had husband walked out on her. And when you start thinking about people, then all of a sudden, like you, you just, you minister differently. You live differently. Yeah. And so when we're inward focused, then it's hard to take risk. Mm. But risk is easier when you see the person and you see their situation. It's almost like you want to reach out to them. And we have the greatest message of the, in the history yeah. of humanity. Like... What's the worst that can do? We encourage somebody, you know what yeah, I mean? Right, What's the right. worst that can happen? Yeah. And, and so just, uh, guys, we got this. We have his spirit in us and greater is he that is in yeah. us. The, what's the worst that can happen if he's in us? He's for us, who can be against us? And so just go for it, you know? And I just wanna release that over somebody yeah. here today. Like maybe there's some decisions that you need to make. Just go for it. When you're his son, the worst place you're gonna end up is in the hands of Jesus right. being carried back to the boat. Yeah. You're gonna be okay. Yeah, that's so good. And, and something else for, I, I, I'm taking away from this conversation, I think that we need to always be others-oriented. Mm. That is a perspective that must be a constant. And when we think about raising up other people, we have to realize that we need to meet people where they're at. Yes. And and what they're facing and what they're going through. What are the issues? What are the challenges? And if we want to help people reach their full potential, we have to care about their lives and their future. Uh, as we close out our time today, what advice would you give to students listening who may be unsure of their calling and don't know, and you kind of touched on that, but they just don't know where to start? Yeah. Getting under people who are doing it is always a no-brainer. Yeah. Get under someone who's doing it right. And you know, there's three manifestations of the Holy Spirit. I think being outward focused is so, so key. Uh, on, uh, on the earth today. He's with us, he's within us, and he's upon us. With us, he's on earth. We're living in the air of the Holy Spirit. He says, I will send him, he's gonna be on earth. So he's with us. He's within us at the moment of salvation. He's living on the inside of us. And a lot of Christians stop there. But how can you be influential? How can you bring change if he doesn't come upon you? Because the upon is not for you. The upon is for people. people right. It's like he has come to give us life. That's for me. But he gave it to us abundantly. That's not for me. Abundance is the overflow that goes for everybody around me. Yeah. So everywhere I go, if I just think about myself, oh, I just want to be full of God. No, no, no. We're, you're already full of God. You have the Holy Spirit in you. You are full. Yeah. You, you just don't realize what you have. Yeah. So stop living for, oh, I want to be full and start living out of overflow. Life, he's come to give us life. That's for me. Abundance is for everybody around me. And God wants us to literally touch the world. And if we're... Uh, stop thinking about self. I'm telling you what, you're actually going to be way more fulfilled than if you ever only think about yourself. Yeah. Wow. 
Yeah, that deep gladness will be there when you do let it go. So, wow. Mish, I want to thank you for joining us today on Framework Leadership. Uh, I'm thankful for the insight that has come through your experiences. And um, man, it's contagious just having a conversation with you. You just want to get out there and, <laughs> and, and do it. And and that's what's exciting. And, and for all of our listeners, I hope that you leave this conversation with a better understanding of the importance of stepping out and and taking action, uh, whether you're you're spreading the gospel uh, across the world in, in different nations or, or you're doing it right here in your home context. Uh, remember that it's so important. Just be moved and, yes. and go out. So to stay connected with Mish, you can follow him on social media, Mish Fominko, or check out his website, bemoved.org. Uh, that's all for today's episode. We look forward to seeing you next time on Framework Leadership. Framework Leadership.